0: Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms, so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Well, hello. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Now, today we'll be teaching through 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm reading as usual through the New International Version, so grab your Bible and and let's get into the Word of God. I'm reading um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared, in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn them aside to myths. So here, in these first few verses, opening up chapter 4, Paul gave Timothy some important facts to consider. Number one, we are in the presence of God, and Paul is actually reminding Timothy of that fact that we're always in the presence of God. He is observing and scrutinizing our conduct and our behavior at all times. So the Father and the Son and of course the Holy Spirit who resides within us uh, is monitoring us and helping us. So that's an important thing to consider as we live this Christian life and walk down the Christian path. Um, Secondly, Paul said that Christ is certain to return and to establish his kingdom. That's something that we can count on. That at some time in future history, uh, history will, as it, as it uh, has been flowing since the creation of time, is going to be interrupted. when Christ is going to come back. He's going to establish his, his kingdom upon this earth. And then, of course, he's going to follow that with a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And so we have to take that in mind, bear that in mind as we live in this life and as we live in this world. Uh, and thirdly, Paul wanted Timothy to be reminded that Christ will judge the living and the dead. He will judge those who are alive when he comes. And of course, he will call forth those out of their graves who are dead. And they, of course, will be judged on the day of judgment. So Paul t- uh, told Timothy, with all of these immutable facts in mind, Preach the word. Okay, so Paul is giving Timothy a foundation of motivation. He's saying, knowing all of this, knowing that God is scrutinizing us, and uh, knowing that He is going to return again, that He of course is going to uh, judge the living and the dead. Knowing this is going to happen in the future, preach the word. He says, uh, preach it in season and preach it out of season and and reprove and rebuke and correct, Um, correct, rebuke, he says, encourage. And the King James says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, which they mean the same thing. Uh, And Paul went on to tell him, use great patience and careful instruction. It's important for those of us who handle the word of God, those those of us who are teachers and preachers, to, uh, to teach and preach with patience, uh, like, like we're handling um, children in a sense. And I don't want to, uh, to be offensive um, by using that illustration or that comparison, uh, because adults are certainly not children. But the idea is that people start at a certain level and they have to be um, helped along to grow to a a different level from glory to glory. That's that's God's design for us. Everything starts small and grows larger. That's the way it is in nature. And so that's the way it is in the physical realm as well. Uh, so we are to teach them and encourage growth in, in them. We are to make it plain to them. Use great patience, careful instruction, break it down to them, read and explain the scriptures to them, and certainly we are to set the right kind of example for them. Uh, correct them when they're wrong, Paul says. Rebuke them when they rebel. You know, uh, uh, when I was raising my children, I uh, tried to avoid uh, punishing them or rebuking them for anything that was beyond their control. If they had an accident, if they, if they spilled milk or something like that, that, that was something that's, that's normal. You can't punish a child for something that's an accident, but but when there was open rebellion, when they when they did something that I had told them not to do, and they defied my authority, then punishment would follow. Then then uh, certainly a, a rebuke would follow, and then if they persisted in that, then something a little sterner would follow. So Paul says to correct them when they're wrong, rebuke them when they rebel encourage them when they're discouraged when when they're trying to do the right thing and they meet with discouragement we've got to come along and encourage them that, that that they're moving along you you're growing you 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 are you are progressing because the enemy will will um try to put it into our minds and into our hearts our spirits that we are not making progress and so we have to encourage each other uh when, when we see people trying to do the right thing and moving in the wrong in the right direction and and they meet with challenges, we want to encourage them to continue on press on, press on in the right direction and and you'll be blessed for it uh, in other words P- Paul is telling Timothy to help them to succeed in their walk with Christ. That's our calling if we are ministers of the gospel. our calling is to help those. Uh, that we are assigned to to uh, speak in, speak to, or, or, or to lead, or to uh, or to develop. Our assignment is to help them to succeed in their endeavor to to be all that Christ called them to be. Now, in verse three, Paul said, "For the time will come when they will, when people will not put up with sound doctrine." And of course, I think we're living in that day now. Um, they. People, a lot of people don't want to put up with sound teaching. Um, they want to hear what they want to hear. Now, sound teaching instructs us in righteousness, number one. Sound teaching instructs in righteousness. Uh, number two, sound teaching encourages submission and obedience to Christ. Sound teaching does. And then uh, number three, sound teaching clearly defines right and wrong. So sound teaching helps us uh, to understand better what is right and what is wrong. And then number four, sound teaching encourages right and condemns wrong. Number five, sound teaching cultivates a Christ-like lifestyle in us. Uh, Paul said that the day will come. Again, the day will come when people will not put up sound teaching. They will not put up with the, with the instruction that is designed to make them stronger, cause them to grow and develop, make them larger in Christ because they want to stay into in a comfortable place, that place of sin, uh, that place of, of a lack of discipline. Um, they don't want to roll out of bed and sound teaching requires you to roll out of the bed and get busy. Now, um, People will bend and twist the scriptures. Paul is saying in in the last day, they'll twist it into what they want to hear. Uh, if the scripture is telling them something that they're not comfortable with, and they'll find a way to twist it around and make it say something else. We see that happening today. They'll reject the things they don't like and want to and don't want to hear. They will select teachers and preachers who comfort them in their sins. They'll turn away. Uh, from the uncomfortable truth and turn to teachers that comfort them with myths and lies. Today, false teachers only teach success and prosperity because it pleases and gathers crowds with itching ears and rarely warn or, or judge people for their sins because people don't want to hear that. They don't want to be told about what they're doing wrong, they want to be told that they're doing everything right, that they want to be encouraged regardless of what they're doing, and, and you encourage people to do what is right. When they're doing right, then you urge them on. Come on, you're moving in the right direction. Keep going. Come on, you're almost there. You, you're going to move on to this next level. Come on, you, you encourage them that way. But if they're going in the wrong direction, you don't say, oh, keep going, keep going. No, you tell them, wait, now, stop. You're going in the wrong direction. Uh, So bad behavior is not something that you encourage. Good behavior is what we want to encourage in in people. When we're wrong, the truth informs us of that fact, that we're wrong. and, And it tells us how to get right. It makes us uncomfortable, of course, but we can correct ourselves. Uh, You get uncomfortable when you find out that you've gone 100 miles in the wrong direction. You know, I I, uh, drive quite a bit, um, and I enjoy traveling sometimes by car. Uh, I like to see the countryside, and uh, sometimes when I'm driving, I'll end up going in the wrong direction, and I I find out, well, of course, I don't have to do it as much now because we have the GPS system, but in, in, uh, in previous years, in the past, sometimes we were going by a map, using a map, and sometimes break out in the wrong direction and and go down the road a long ways in the wrong direction. Then I, then I realize, Hey, I'm going in the wrong direction. Now it's not uncomfortable. It, it is not comfortable and it's no fun to realize that you've got to backtrack 50 miles to correct yourself, but it's not fun. It's not, uh, you know, it's not exciting. Nothing, um, uh, you know, uh, interesting about it. You just gotta, you just have to s- suck up and do it. And so, because you don't want to keep going in the wrong direction because you're getting further and further away from your destination. That's the way it is in life. Sometimes we have to backtrack and it's and it's not fun when we go down the wrong road and we have to turn around and uh, and do the first works over. But it's necessary to get to our destination. Uh, when we are wrong, the truth it informs us, it helps us to get right. Now, false preachers and false teachers make people think they are right when they're wrong. So they're encouraging them to go continue down the wrong uh, path, heading in the wrong direction, headed for the wrong destination. We as ministers of God, and and those of us who are are stronger Christians, because every Christian should be uh, learning and growing so that they will be able to teach others. That's what Paul says. He says, uh, when you should be teachers, um, you need somebody to teach you. So we we need to grow to a point that everybody, each one, can reach one, or or everybody can touch other people and to help them along. But especially those who are carrying the word of God, we've got to tell people the truth to help them to continue in the to get right and to and to continue in the right direction. False preachers promise success and prosperity without obedience and submission to the will of Christ. You know, I I read through the Bible, as I said in one of the other sessions, uh, every year I read through it at least once or twice. And one thing I notice, one principle, one pattern, is that all through the Bible, God uh, encourages people to obey. And And he says, in essence, in principle, that if you obey, then you will be blessed. Blessings follow obedience, BFO. I wrote that in my Bible, BFO, and it's all through my Bible. Whenever I come across that principle, I write BFO, blessings follow obedience. Uh, So you cannot disobey. Blessings don't follow disobedience. Uh, Trouble and hardships follow disobedience. But blessings follow obedience all the way through. God says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you obey me, if you do what I say, uh, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed in the field. And and all the way through, that principle carries through the Bible. So we have to teach that because it is such a sound teaching. And, And if people will earnestly follow after God, Jesus said, first seek ye the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. You'll prosper and you will succeed if you buckle down and determine to obey God. Well, false preachers are telling people that they're going to prosper, regardless of what they do. They don't even address the idea that you've got to obey God. They just say your season is coming. Um, they tell people that uh, Jesus is 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 uh, is Savior, but they don't tell them that Jesus is Lord. He saves us, but He also rules over us. He's our Master. Uh, you know, we have transferred ownership. Ownership has been transferred from Satan to Christ. And when we are slaves to Christ and we have to obey him if we want to receive his blessing. The truth is God's promises of success and prosperity are conditioned upon obeying his commands and following his instructions. Isaiah 1 and 19 and 20 says and the NIV says if you are willing and obedient you will eat the good of the good things of the land but if you resist and rebel you'll be devoured by the sword so we can't make blanket promises of prosperity and success to an audience that's mixed with obedient people and disobedient people we've got to be more surgical about that we've got to be more direct we've got to warn. or we got to Uh, Make it plain that those of you who are obeying God, those of you who are really following Christ and you're earnest about following Christ, there's a blessing ahead of you. You keep going. And those of you who are rebelling against Christ know that there's more trouble ahead of you. You're not going to get, you're not headed out of the trouble. You're headed deeper into it because God's going to keep pressure on you until you turn around. You know, uh, when I was growing up, uh, people believed in disciplining their children. Now m- m- my dad certainly disciplined me. And the Bible says that whom God loves, he chastens. Uh, and so, you know, when I when I did wrong, my dad didn't punish me for for things that were beyond my control. If I if I fell and knocked over a table, if or if I turned over a glass at dinner time, he didn't punish me for that. Uh, he might have scolded me a little bit and said, be more careful but he didn't punish me for that. But if I rebelled, if I, if, if I did something that he said not to do, he had made it plain to me, don't do this. And I did it anyway. Well, the belt was coming out. And, uh, and, and so I learned, don't do that. I mean, do this, don't do that. And it's the same way God works. He's not going to encourage and reward people who are doing what is wrong. He's going to bring more trouble into your life. He's going to allow you to go deeper and deeper into the trouble until you realize, hey, I don't want any more of this. I want relief from this. And then you'll turn around and back up out of that thicket. So we can't honestly say you're getting ready to come into your breakthrough. Uh, Your situation is turning around. Your due season is about to come when people are in rebellion against God. That is just not true. So we have to be more surgical about how we minister the gospel. We encourage people who are doing right, and we correct people who are doing wrong, and we even have to reprove. And if they persist, if they're really stiff-necked, then we have to be rebuked. We have to rebuke them because a rebuke is is stronger than a re- than reproof. You 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 gently correct first, then you correct more sternly. That's reproof then you you rebuke more harshly with consequences. That's that's the rebuke. So, uh, So this idea of coming prosperity and blessings, it's only true for people who are obedient, who are obedient and faithful to God. Rebellious people who live in sin are having trouble because of their disobedience, and it's not going to get better. Until they turn around, and then when they turn around, they're headed toward the light. False teachers teach salvation by grace through faith, but fail to explain that faith is proven by works, James 2, 17. They talk about the grace, but they don't talk about the works, the, the requirement to obey God and do good works. Now, verse 5 says, But you keep your head in all situations under hardship, do the work of the evangelists. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, to keep your head means to be watchful, alert, and in control of yourself at all times. Don't collapse under the hardship that will surely come. Endure it. Although you are serving as a pastor or overseer, those of you who are pastors or overseers, do the work of an evangelist, Paul is saying. Don't, uh, the part of the work of a, a pastor is evangelism. Carry out all the duties of your of your your ministry. All the duties that your ministry be, uh, demands. Now, when I was a uh, pastoring, I pioneered the church, uh, Charity Christian Center, which today is New Direction Church, which my son leads, and he's doing a great job of it. Uh, but when I pioneered the church, I started it with no members. Well, I had uh four members, my wife and my three little children. Um uh, so I had to do the work of an evangelist. I had to get out, knock on doors. Uh, I preached in parks and open air meetings. I had a I got a big uh two big PV speakers and a power amp. And uh, we went to the park. I preached my wife sang and uh pass out pat we passed out tracks. We witnessed to people I went door to door knocking on doors, passing out tracts and inviting people uh, to the church. And gradually over the years, the church began to grow. It was very slow growth, but I had to do the work of an evangelist. I had to get out, tell people about Christ, invite people to church. Uh, I had to do radio. Um, I did cable television because it was free and didn't have much of a budget. We were operating on on my wife's tithes and offerings from, uh, from our jobs. We both worked we had to do the work of evangelists, and we had to teach, we had to shepherd. The work of a pastor encompasses that of an evangelist, that of a teacher, that of a of a, of a, of a pastor and a shepherd. So a pastors should preach the gospel, read and explain the scriptures, lead people by example, watch over them, and protect them from false teachers, among other things. You have to Wear all kinds of hats. We even had to, my wife and I had to clean the church. I mowed the lawn and, you know, we cleaned the toilets and all of that stuff. We had to do that stuff starting out because we were a startup church. We were planning a church. Now I'm reading verses six through eight. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. While awaiting execution, Paul accepts the fact uh, that his time on earth is nearly over, and Paul is okay with that. He sees his impending execution as a departure, and that's the word that he uses, departure, as if he was going to jump on a ship. Or today, jump on a train or a plane, like stepping on one of those and, and heading for his destination. In Philippians 1 and 21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is actually gain. In fact, uh, to die is to to increase, to go in, to, to receive treasure, to go into paradise, is what Paul is saying. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, he wrote, I would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So he actually looked forward to leaving this earth for heaven. He saw it as a departure. He is satisfied with the way that he's lived his life. He's satisfied that he did his best for Christ, and now he is ready uh, to, to finish his work, leave this place, and go to paradise. Paul considered his race to be Nearly over, and he accepted his his fate, expecting a great reward. He knew that he was going to a better place to receive a great reward. That's the way it is with us, every Christian. The moment you lie down in death, you wake up in life, in heaven. Uh, the, The instant that you close your eyes here, you open them over there with Christ and the saints and the angels in this place called paradise or heaven. It's important to note that although every Christian will receive eternal life, there will be different rewards uh, that's actually based on our faithfulness to God here on earth. were We're going to be rewarded differently. Now, everybody will receive eternal life. Everyone who places their faith in Christ, even lazy Christians, even slothful Christians, we will all make it there. But... Uh, those who obey Christ and do some good works, and Paul, uh, 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 Jesus actually said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so when we do good works, and I don't know about you, I want to do what James says, I want to be rich in good works, because I know that I'm sending that ahead, and, and everything that I do on earth for Christ is going to be rewarded. Saints will be given different levels of rulership in the kingdom of God. We're going to be giving different different levels of honor and authority when Christ rules the new world, just as there are different levels of authority here on earth. In Luke 19 and 11 through six, Jesus gives a parable indicating that those who are faithful in this life will rule over cities in the new earth. That's Luke 19, 11 through 26. You can read it for yourself. Those who are most faithful will have greater and higher um, levels of authority in in uh, the new world. when when Jesus rules upon this earth, of course, he's going to rule upon this earth. It's going to be the millennial kingdom of God. We believe it will be a thousand years upon this earth when he will renovate this present earth and make it a paradise, not completely perfect, but a paradise. And there will be rulership here. And then at the end of that, he's going to create new heavens and a new earth. And then there's, we're going to rule with him forever. Well, there's going to be different levels of rulership, different levels of honor, different levels of responsibility based on what we do in, in these short years that we have here on this earth. So knowing that should spur people to get busy and begin doing for Christ. Those who are more faithful will have a greater and higher level of authority. Those who are less faithful uh, will have lower levels of authority. Uh, governors. Are higher in authority than mayors, and so it will be when Christ comes and establishes His His uh, establishes His kingdom. Paul looks beyond death to his reward. He mentions the crown of righteousness waiting for him. The Bible indicates that God will reward the believers with five different crowns. Number one, the crown of righteousness. Uh, it's mentioned in verse eight. Is promised to those who love and long for Christ to appear. Um, it speaks of an intimate relationship with Christ. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm longing for Christ to appear. Every day I'm praying, Lord, come, take over this world, establish your kingdom, rule over it in righteousness, and let us rule with you, under you. And that's what the Bible promises in the book of Daniel the Bible says, and the kingdom will be given to the people to the saints of the most high God. Well, that's us. If we're, if we're believers in Christ, we're following Christ, then we are the saints of the most high God, and we are Christians, uh, and we are going to be ruling and reigning with him forever. The, 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 number two, the second crown is the crown of life. It will be given to Christians who endure trials, suffering, and hardships. You can see James 1 and 12. Uh, on that, and Revelations 2 and 10. And then number three, the incorruptible or imperishable crown. Uh, It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9.25. It is contrasted to the earthly crowns because it's eternal and is given to those who deny themselves and persevere until the end. And then the fourth crown is mentioned in 1 Peter uh, chapter five, verses two through four, the crown of glory. It is awarded to Christians, uh, to Christian pastoral leaders, Christians who are pastors, who serve as good shepherds and, and set a good example to the flock, okay? And then number five, the crown of rejoicing or exaltation is mentioned in First uh, Thessalonians 2.19 and Philippians 4 and 1. Uh, it is awarded to soul winners, those who win souls for Christ. Now, as the children of the king of the universe, it's important for us to understand that we are royalty. The Bible calls us a nation of kings and priests. So we will be arrayed in rich and lavish royal apparel. We will wear crowns and we will rule under Christ. That's, that's partially why, he, why he's called king of kings. Of course, uh, he's also called king of kings because he is. He's king even right now over all kings and over all thrones and and all dominions. He is king. They, They just don't know it yet. Many of them just don't know it yet, but he is king of kings. Now, verses 9 through 13. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Now, Paul was longing for companionship. He had been deserted by Demas. His other companions had also left for various reasons. They uh, didn't desert him, but Demas did. And Luke was the only companion that he had left. So Paul was facing execution and wanted to be surrounded by Christian brothers. Paul specifically asked Timothy to bring Mark with him and, and, and compliments Mark for his usefulness in the ministry. Now, This wasn't always the way Paul looked at Mark. Uh, Paul had rejected Mark earlier as a missionary partner years earlier because he abandoned them on their first missionary journey and he went home to mama. Uh, He got tired. Uh, I guess he got homesick. He was young. And so I guess he said, forget this. Maybe that wasn't his attitude, but of course he did leave. He left early and he went back home and, and Paul was more rigid in his earlier years, he was more stern. And and of course, he was focused on getting things done. And he didn't have much use for anybody who, who, uh, who didn't carry their weight and who didn't stick it out. So um, they had this big rift, Paul and Barnabas, when they got ready to go on the second missionary journey because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, his cousin, with him. And Paul said, no, we're not bringing him because he left us. He abandoned us the last time. And so there was that great rift. But Paul had now matured and Mark has, uh, has matured and Paul sees the value in this young man. Paul is, is now more patient and Mark is more mature and useful. And so Paul says to, uh, says to Timothy, bring him along. And, uh, this whole rift between them can be found in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 and 41, if you want to read that. So now Paul sees the value in Mark and wants him to bring him along. Paul asked Timothy also to bring his cloak because he suffered cold in the uh, in that Roman prison, which those Roman prisons were really dungeons. He also wanted his books and more writing material, more writing parchment to to continue writing and giving instructions to the saints. He wanted to he wanted to continue his ministry all the way down to the end because Paul was that dedicated. Now verses fourteen and fifteen. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. This Alexander is possibly the same uh, one mentioned in 1 Timothy 1 20. He opposed Paul and his message about Christ, and, and he caused Paul a lot of trouble, so much so until it stuck out in Paul's mind and and Paul wanted to warn Timothy about him because this guy was a real troublemaker, um, and he really raised a ruckus. This man was such a minister, Paul that he he had to uh, alert Timothy to him. Now I'm reading verses 16 through 18. In my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. You know, that's the thing that should give comfort to us, that no matter what happens to us in this life. Now, Paul was facing beheading. He knew he was going to be executed soon. But the thing that gave him comfort was, that he knew that he could rely on God, that even regardless of the beheading, that God would bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. He knew he was going to heaven. Now, Paul felt totally alone. He mentioned the fact that uh, certain people had left him, only Luke was with him, and and so, of course, he is feeling alone and in need of human companionship. Uh, At his first hearing, he felt completely abandoned. Now, God created us to need human companionship. A friendly and supportive human pres- uh, presence is, is always comforting when we're going through trouble, when we, uh, when we are, are in deep uh, trouble and affliction from the enemy. Human companion helps. Although he lacked human companionship, Paul knew that God was with him, and Paul said God stood by him in that difficult time when he was going through that uh, first hearing. Just as God strengthened Jesus to face the cross, he strengthened Paul for this ordeal that he was facing, for his suffering. Everything that Paul suffered, God was with him to strengthen him and to comfort him through it. Paul was certain throughout his ministry that uh, he would not be stopped, he would not be stopped by his afflictions, he would not be stopped by his opposition from doing the work that he'd been called to do. Uh, He was confident that he was going to finish this thing. Paul comforted himself by reminding himself that when his work was over, God would deliver him safely into heaven. And Paul saw his pending execution as his ticket to heaven. Death was only a vehicle uh, that he would ride into glory. He would uh, jump on it and on into glory he would, he would go. And so Paul, I'm sure he preoccupied, uh, preoccupied himself with these thoughts as he was going through his difficulties and we have to set our thoughts on higher things, on, on things that are, that are encouraging, things that are of are good report, the Bible says, things that are lovely and trustworthy. We have, to, we have to learn how to set our minds not on the trouble, but to look beyond that trouble like Jesus did. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. But how did he endure that hardship? By looking beyond it, by looking on ahead, he set his affection, his mind, his, he set his, his, his thoughts on when he would be through the trouble and with us. Now, verses 19 through 22, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in my leaders. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens and Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Paul said he left Trophimus sick in Miletus. This is very important and useful information because it lets us know that only the Lord Jesus, uh, only God has the power to heal all the time. Only God has the power to heal at all, uh, uh, really. We need to establish that first. But Jesus was the only person who healed every case. We can pray and we can believe. And sometimes we will see God heal. Then there are other times we will pray and believe and God chooses not to heal. No one but Jesus was able to heal every person every time. So we shouldn't get down in the mouth, and we shouldn't work up things. And 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 uh, I, I hear a lot of testimonies about healings, and I, I believe in the power of healing. I believe in the supernatural move of God today. But a lot of times, people are propping up stuff that's uh, really not a healing. Uh, it's something that 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 they're forcing through uh, to try to lend credibility and credit to their own power of healing. Nobody can heal everybody or Paul would not have left uh, left this man sick at Miletus. In verse 21, Paul urges Timothy to get there before winter, when travel would be more difficult, and he would be uh, more likely to face shipwreck, as Paul had done, uh, and everything was more dangerous. So Paul wanted him to get there before the seas began to stir up and become uh, more stormy and choppy. He had seen the perils of sailing during the winter firsthand, and and, and he had been shipwrecked um, after warning that, you know, don't do it, let's not take this trip. And he was ship, shipwrecked, and, and they were cast upon a, an island called Malta um, on his way to Rome. That's in Acts chapters 27 and 28. Paul suspected that if Timothy didn't get there before winter, he, he might not get there in time at all because he knew that... Uh, his ex- execution was pending, that um, he didn't know the date that they were going to come and execute him. He didn't know really what was going to happen, so he wanted Timothy to get there before then. Paul extends his final greetings and includes greetings from those who were close to him in ministry, Eubulus and and Pudens and, and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters that were with him. Well, that brings us to the close of today's study of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Next time, um, we'll begin studying, we'll cover the first chapter of the book of Titus. We'll begin studying in the book of, Ch- of, of a Titus.
1: Now, if you live in the Indianapolis
0: area, come visit us at New Direction Church, where my son Kenneth Sullivan is the senior pastor, Kenneth Sullivan Jr. Our East Campus is located at the corner of 38th Street in Hawthorne, and Hawthorne. Our North Campus is located at uh, the corner of 86th Street and Hague Road. Our services time, service times are at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. And on, uh, on that's on 38th Street. And on uh, our Hague Road Campus, our, uh, our service time begins at 10 a.m. I hope to see you at one of our services. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at emergecurriculum.com. Please tune in to our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com